0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIAL Security Insider podcast. And our guest today is Julian Claxton. Julian is a security advisor with specialist expertise in the provision of technical surveillance countermeasures and insider threat management support. Julian has been providing advice to government and corporations for over 30 years and is regularly called on to speak at conferences and international events. Julian, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, John. I'm grateful to have been considered. Thank
0: you. Well, now, Julian, we are speaking to you in the context of all the uh, the stuff that's happened at the Capitol building in the US uh, last week with people riding and breaking in and really sort of looking at the potential security threats that that kind of thing involves beyond just the physical safety implications on the day. We've, we've had a, a whole horde of people run through one of the most sensitive buildings in the US which I imagine uh, would have led to uh, potential laptops being compromised, uh, the opportunity for devices to be left behind, and so on and so forth. And without wanting to get too tin hat oriented too early in the podcast, we know that from some of the Black Lives Matter protests uh, earlier last year, there was a fair amount of evidence that Russia had been stoking the flames and deliberately trying to cause dissent within the U.S., So it's not too much of a long bow to draw to suggest that potentially there may have been people in amongst that crowd that were working for foreign governments or foreign intelligence agencies with a view to gaining access to something like the Capitol building. So if you wouldn't mind, perhaps kick off by just talking me through what some of the potential security risks are in a breach of this kind.
1: Absolutely. And you're not wrong. Uh, The first conclusion that most people would jump to is the fact that we've had a physical security breach and that we need to consider improving security controls, additional barriers, increased guard force or policing, and so on and so forth. But what people often forget, and in this sort of situation, particularly given the magnitude and, importantly, the online exposure of this breach, is that it's an ideal Trojan horse event for a foreign espionage agent or agents or other nefarious actors, uh, not to mention, of course, terrorist plotters and uh, and other madmen. But the reality is that we could be fairly certain that there would be at least a handful of um, foreign intelligence officers who would probably have used the breach as a means to access the Capitol building.
0: Yep. And I imagine as a result of that, this is... And for anyone listening to this, you know, let me be perfectly clear about what we're doing here. I understand that it is very, very easy to sit there and armchair quarterback these sort of things. Um, And that's not what we're trying to do. We're, 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 We're not sitting here throwing stones and saying, oh, well, they should have done this or they should have done that. The aim of this discussion is to really look at what happened with a view to helping other companies, organizations, security managers and the like better understand how they might prepare for and manage an event of this kind should it happen to them. Now, we know that on some level this was kind of a last-minute thing, even though both the director of the FBI uh, and some of the other intelligence agencies have said, look, they had reasonable warning that something of this nature may have occurred. What we had on the day was... Uh, a call to evacuate the building, and there always has to be consideration given and balance, I found, between evacuation and security. But I, I am of the understanding and have been led to believe that there may have been situations where people have run out of their office and even left access cards in computers and computers live and open and documents sitting on desks that may have been a sensitive nature and filing cabinets left unlocked. I mean... How do we strike that balance between, you know, achieving an efficient, effective and sensible evacuation plan and not just throwing the baby out with the bathwater as far as security is concerned?
1: No, I totally agree, John. And I think the way to look at this is to maintain a preventative approach to protecting assets, whether they be information or otherwise. Uh, They could be computers and so on. My understanding from what I've seen is that at least two computers were in fact stolen or taken um, as a result of the riots. We don't know specifically what information was on those computers, nor do we know whether they were encrypted, whether they were uh, logged into or otherwise. But we have to assume the worst. But in a situation such as what we're talking about, you're right, there's a real balance that's got to be considered, and, and preservation of life and safety absolutely must be the priority in all of any circumstance. However, a preventive a preventative approach enables you to, to have some peace of mind in the knowledge that if you follow protocol and you log out computers, which takes a split second, and if there are classified documents left on a table, throw them into a shredder next to the table. It's all about planning ahead. And I think it's important to understand, as you said earlier, we're not pointing fingers and we're not drawing conclusions based on knowledge that we really don't have. In Australia, we've got an extra security and law enforcement environment. However, we've had limited experience when it comes to large-scale violent breaches, such as what we've seen on Capitol Hill. And in reality, we need to prepare for the worst to be able to provide the best possible outcome. It's about learning from the experiences that others have had so that we're in a better position if it were likely to occur here.
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's sorry to jump in, but there's no saying that this couldn't have happened here. I mean, this could have been Parliament House. There's, there's nothing a- stopping absolutely. that.
1: No, and, and we're not necessarily ready for it. We have processes in place and we maintain... Um, various security controls that are tried and tested, but they're typically tried and tested to a standard of risk or a level of risk that we're accustomed to here in Australia. In America, they've experienced uh, more violent protests. They have guns uh, which add to the confusion and the threats and and the concerns within the region that thankfully we don't have to that degree. There is a small amount of it, but certainly nothing comparatively. Um, But we really need to think about, as I said a moment ago, the worst case scenario, because we haven't experienced it before. Not dissimilar, for example, to the COVID pandemic. There are a myriad of people out there who talk about how we can protect ourselves for such an event, but until it occurs, nobody really knows how to deal with it. And it's about learning from our mistakes, learning from what worked as much as what didn't work, and preparing ourselves moving forward. Talking about classified materials and computers and, Uh, laptops or hard drives that might be left exposed perhaps and again we don't know the specifics but perhaps the 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 steps for for the future for us to be considering is well we don't have that information available in a tangible means we have it potentially and theoretically in electronic format in a controlled environment that um, without a um, uh, some sort of uh, confirmation periodically that you're still the right operator. Perhaps it's a retina scan, perhaps it's a fingerprint scan. And, and I'm speculating here, John, but yeah. um, if if you don't log in periodically, then that, that data is erased instantly, for example. And that's something to be mindful of. Those sorts of scenarios may be worth considering moving forward. It may be, as I mentioned early, earlier, that, that there's a shredder next to the table and that the protocol is obviously subject to the protection of life, that if you have a chance and you know there's a classified document, throw it in the cross-cut shredder. It takes seconds to shred. Yep. So we have to assume the worst has occurred and we have to assume that um, the keyboards attached to any of those computers and and you know a mouse that might be in use or even the monitors, anything that's got ports, anything that's got power has been compromised. And I think it's going to be a monumental effort to... Um, for lack of a better term, sweep the capital environment to ensure that those devices are replaced and that any operating systems are checked and that protocols are put in place moving forward.
0: I mean, whilst I understand that you can only draw certain conclusions based on limited knowledge, on based on your 30 years of experience with you know technical surveillance countermeasures and we'll get to insider threats in a minute, but it would seem to a layperson like myself that really we virtually need to take every single electronic information tech piece of technology that was in that building and have a gigantic dumpster fire out the back and just start again?
1: Uh, At first impression, I would technically agree. However, the benefit of the likes of closed-circuit television and alarm uh, monitoring, access control and what have you, Hopefully, it will provide sufficient enough forensic capacity for the authorities to review where, the for example, gained access. And there's no point in throwing out keyboards and computers and systems that were behind locked doors. For example, uh, I'd be fairly certain that Capitol Hill maintains uh, a skiff, a sensitive compartmented information facility, uh, where highly sensitive and classified material is stored and or discussed, the likelihood of that being breached, I would suggest is extraordinarily low. It would be uh, physically guarded, electronically guarded and monitored. The the, the walls would be reinforced. I think it would be a very difficult um, environment to breach. And therefore, there's no point in going mad and throwing all of the Uh, technology in those rooms out and shredding all the documents a a common sense approach would need to be taken and the benefit of closed circuit television means that you can monitor where particular individuals access how long they are in those areas and and then consider okay let's take a a sensible approach to this that particular terminal or computer was breached or they were in the vicinity of all the power and data outlets along that corridor could have been tampered with and therefore they're the areas that you would look to target for security enhancement and or replacement
0: right and if we're talking about an office that potentially has been breached and let's say there was a computer system that was available uh, for access in that room for whatever reason is it now reasonable to assume that every device that that person owns has been compromised on some level because I assume their work laptop is going in some way to be linked to their mobile device, which in some way is then possibly transmitting a disease to home devices. I mean, do you do you literally need to clean out the whole thing, or can you sandbox and quarantine this sort of stuff?
1: Look, that would depend entirely on their cyber posture and their IT security within Capitol Hill. So it's quite possible that one is connected to the next, but it's also equally possible that if they have the right controls in place, the right security protocols on that device, whether it be a laptop or an iPhone or a, a tablet or whatever the, the circumstance, that it may just be limited to that particular product. Thank you. Yep. But I'd be suggesting, for example, and this is something that I think would be often overlooked by uh, many, other than those who are experienced in this, is the charger that it's plugged into.
0: Okay. For
1: example, listening devices would be a huge threat, a massive concern within that type of breach. Because it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that uh, uh, an espionage agent of some description or even an opportunist protester swaps out what would be expected to be a standard, for example, Apple iPhone charger, dime a dozen, millions of them made across the world, all white, all with the same connectivity, uh, the same plugs, same fittings. It would take two seconds to swap a good one out a compromised device that then has the capacity to record for example any conversation in that room moving forward yep. and whilst the senator whose office might have been breached might think oh well I better hand my laptop over because it was here and it was unlocked and they're probably going to have to erase it and, and go down a rabbit warren to determine how far the breach could potentially have got are they likely to say oh by the way you better swap my charge around as well I think you'd find that there are enough peripheral concerns and threats along those lines that need to be considered that a lot of people wouldn't otherwise think about.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a really good and a really interesting point. And I was going to say, are there other things like that? Because obviously, you know, when it comes to things like hiding listening devices or hiding cameras or hiding key loggers or whatever it may be, one would have to assume with some reasonable degree of certainty That, you know, intelligence agencies in the US will go through and they will sweep that building from top to bottom and probably not once but twice and even possibly thrice and catch Mm. most of the obvious stuff. So what are the things that they won't necessarily or that the average person, like you just pointed out, wouldn't necessarily think about?
1: What about information that's not necessarily classified, but might relate, for example, to who has a beef with who? who you know, where are the conflicts within Congress? Right. What are the emerging um, issues relating to personality? So we're talking about human behavior. Yep. How do they operate? Where is the lunchroom, for example, versus the office, versus the toilet, versus the corridor where they might discuss things on the way to a sensitive meeting? That sort of intelligence would be hugely valuable, both to an opportunist, but also a targeted intelligence specialist, somebody who is in there, an espionage agent or actor who is in there to uh, to gather information. So it's more than just the, the obvious, if you like. We need to consider uh, relationships. We need to consider human behavior, personalities, characteristics from one person to the next, and there could be a, a treasure trove of information lying around that you might not necessarily attribute to uh, being a security problem but could, in fact, be hugely valuable to a foreign operative.
0: Yeah, I suppose all sorts of information that provides points of leverage moving forward from, you know, calendars that show who's had lunch with whom to, you know. Absolutely notes, uh, you know, just diarized notes about particular people and their feelings towards each other, to even just a, a, a person's photo library, I imagine.
1: Absolutely. Who, <laughs> dare I say, who's sleeping with who? Yep. You know, that comes back to a conversation that you and I have had in the past, talking yep. about motivations for espionage and, and the key motivations you know, typically known as, as, as money, ideology, coercion or compromise, and and ego, and and if you look at the compromise uh, capacity, well, if there's a a handwritten card with a bunch of flowers from somebody that says, thank you so much for a wonderful night, and I'm I'm being tame in my comments, so the obvious is is, um, fairly evident here, And it's well known that that person is in a solid relationship with another person outside of uh, that environment. And therefore, that could be information that could be used to compromise that particular individual. And that's not something that most people would think about. But it's, again, extraordinarily valuable to be able to say, well, I know that you've slept with such and such and you're in a supposedly happy marriage, and if you don't do what we tell you or you don't gather the information that we're asking you to gather, we're going to tell your wife or we're going to tell your husband or your partner that you've been uh, uh, you know, involved in extracurricular activities, shall we say.
0: And it doesn't even necessarily, I am assuming, need to be particularly nefarious uh, malware or viruses or things that were left behind. I mean, again, you will know much more about this than I do, but my understanding is most modern operating systems, whether it be Windows or Mac iOS or Linux or any of those, have a, a key... Uh, chain within the operating system that records Mm. all of your passwords for convenience, for everything Mm. from online banking to social media accounts to you name it. Now, if someone's walked out of their office and left their laptop unlocked, it wouldn't be hard for someone who knows what they're doing to get into the operating system and steal that keychain. And now that person effectively has access to that person's entire digital life, which I imagine could cause all sorts of issues.
1: I could relate to a direct case study on that, that we were involved uh, in last year, and I'm not going to give too much away here respectfully, but bottom line is there were a group, very similar circumstance but far less violent, there were a group of protesters who infiltrated one of our clients' environments. Uh, and the client engaged us for similar reasons to what we're discussing because they were concerned that perhaps covert surveillance had been installed in that environment post um, uh, breach. What we found were no listening devices, no surveillance devices in place, but our team were able to access a book of passwords. And I'm not exaggerating, it was riddled with user login details for senior executives within that environment, it provided access to their Microsoft Teams login details,
0: which... Sorry, you're there, there, Julian. You just dropped out for a second there. You were were at the point of talking about... Yes, you were at the point of talking about Microsoft Access login details.
1: So access to Microsoft Teams, which provided um, all of the calendar details for senior executives within the organisation, uh, it provided information, for example, simple things like parking allocation, who has parking passes to the facility. It provided information on who has access passes. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but we found a book of passwords that had yep. login details absolutely throughout the entire thing for many of the executives right yep. down to the front office reception staff. Uh Anybody who had infiltrated that organisation via the means of protest, as opposed to finding another way to get in, didn't need to place any listening devices, John, because all of the information they needed was readily available. Mm. But that doesn't, you know, uh, you've then got to think about what might have been left behind, both in the case study that we experienced, but also within uh, Capitol Hill, any malicious files or file installers, you know, malware that could be installed or USB drives maybe left in a drawer that matched other USB drives, for example, that somebody down the track said, oh, well, they didn't take this one. Great. I'll plug that in and bang, you're compromised. So there's definitely so many peripheral issues that have to be considered. There's technical surveillance threats. There is the cyber security threat. So. What portals could be potentially open? There's the threat of malware, ransomware. I mean, the list goes on. And it's a real crossover between physical security, uh, technical surveillance, countermeasures moving forward, but also cybersecurity and internal IT.
0: Yeah. I mean... need to be cleaned up. Uh, one of the things that's been thrown around over the last few days is the fact that, or, or the the idea that potentially there were insiders involved in this that had been taking people through for tours in the days leading up to it to get the lay of the land and all the rest of it. That is pure speculation mm. at this point. There is there is no evidence to suggest there's any nefarious sure. activity there. But let's, let's just take this in the context of it's an Australian company. They're involved in yep. something, whether it be mining or manufacturing or some sort of environmental process that attracts the attention of protesters. Mm. Most of our security overlay is designed to protect against uh, opportunists or illegal actors in the ones or twos wanting to break in. So we harden doors, we have access control systems, we have CCTV. These things Mm. aren't necessarily designed to stop 500 people storming the building because your your access control system doesn't do much against people throwing rocks through your hardened door and then storming it. If we were Mm. to take that as an example what sorts of things would you recommend to security managers and organisations here in Australia to say, from a technical security and from an insider threat management point of view, here is how I would address protecting against vulnerabilities against this kind of situation?
1: If I was going to infiltrate an organisation, whether it be a corporation, a government a manufacturing plant or otherwise, I would conduct reconnaissance. And that reconnaissance typically would be conducted over a period of weeks, potentially over a period of months or even years. And I would find a way to get into that organisation through seemingly innocuous means, whether it be as a cleaner, whether it be as a prospective customer, I might apply for a job to get through the door. There are any number of means by which I would look to infiltrate the organisation. But what I know, and certainly through my own research and the experience I've had with Uh, scores of clients in this game is that when I'm doing that, if I'm the nefarious actor, I'm going to exhibit behavioural indicators of malintent. And when I'm talking, I'm going to be lying because I'm not really there for that job interview, or I'm not really there because I want to become a customer. I'm there because I'm conducting reconnaissance. And there are behavioural indicators that will manifest in in, uh, the way you speak Uh, how you uh, conduct yourself, your body language, and so on and so forth. So to the point, John, I've long been a supporter of uh, security and behavioural awareness training. I think it's absolutely critical within organisations from top to bottom to teach people what some of those uh, anomalous indicators might look like and how to distinguish between somebody who is credible versus somebody who is not credible. So... One of the first things that I think needs to be considered is behavioural awareness training. And I'm not convinced that it's undertaken to anywhere near the degree that it should be. And we're missing a huge opportunity to tighten up security within our organisations. That would be one of the first things that I'd be looking at. Moving forward, I would be considering um, how we manage information and how we protect our information and our assets within the organisation. And that starts, for example, by risk assessments, understanding what your assets are, where they're located and how they're protected, and particularly how you protect them uh, during a a crisis such as the one that we're discussing today. Most organisations now see the value of technical surveillance countermeasure inspections. It's a regime. We're very fortunate in our business to be providing regular technical surveillance or uh, TSCM technical surveillance countermeasure inspections of boardrooms, executive offices on a regular basis. And of course, if there are any suspicious activities or any breaches, whether it be a standard break and enter or otherwise, we will recommend that an ad hoc inspection is conducted and that all environments are sealed using tamper evidence, seals, for example. Yep. Um, I think uh, one that's certainly been in discussion in recent times, particularly within government, is that of employment screening. Yep. I think it's critical for organisations and security managers to look at insider threat management programs so that they understand from start to finish, how to to handle, identify and handle insider threats within their organisations. Not only does that include, you know, appropriate security vetting, which of course, as we know, is undertaken extensively within government environments, but perhaps not quite so extensively in the corporate sector, but equally necessary, employment screening that's dynamic in its approach is absolutely critical. And the other thing, which I think is still new in uh, in the corporate sector although others may argue but is the use of intelligence utilizing intelligence uh, analysis to be able to predict uh, emerging trends through social media for example that might relate to your organization monitoring online forums with a view for example to identifying the planning of protests or any uprising that might be targeting your facility your organization or potentially your sector yep and then of course in conclusion is the, uh, the good old guns, gates, and guards. And I suspect that most of the listeners uh, on this podcast would be already familiar with some of those primary concerns, the, the layers of security, looking at things from the outside in, protecting the outer perimeter, the inner perimeter, and so on. One of the things that I regularly preach to our clients is the importance of looking from the inside out. Yep. And there's a tremendous difference. Cybersecurity is a great example copious amounts of money has been allocated to cyber protection across the globe, corporate and uh, government environments. Um, They target harden, they uh, install phenomenal firewalls, they do penetration testing. They're fantastic and they're absolutely necessary. However, organisations often forget about the person already inside the organisation sitting behind the keyboard. Well, so that... they'd be my key my key recommendations for anybody listening is to think about some of those controls within their own organization and think about addressing the issues just a little beyond the norm thinking uh, for, forgive the term but outside the box yeah behavior is is a true indication of intent
0: well there's a couple of points in there though that I'd, I'd like to raise quickly um, sure especially speaking about the, the behavioral and the human aspects of it, because you mentioned employment screening, but you also mentioned or alluded to earlier in the podcast, the idea of espionage and, and turning people through the use of either money, ideology, coercion, or ego. So then would it not by natural extension be worthwhile to periodically return to and review and, and, screen again people over a course of three years later, four years later, five years later, because people change, circumstances change.
1: I Uh, love your thinking, John. Absolutely, wholeheartedly, 100% in agreement. It's something I've been saying for ages. Um, We do have very good controls when they're implemented with respect to vetting people. And I'm speaking both corporate and government. And typically, however, those controls are a point in time. People's yep. ideology shift. Take Edward Snowden, who's been spoken about the death in the security and cyber uh, sort of realms for several years now. But Snowden was vetted to the highest degree. Yep. He was given access to the most sensitive of sensitive information. And yet his ideology shifted. His views on the world, his views on government, his views on surveillance changed over time. And those changes, it's all psychology focused here. Those changes are based on the experience that he had at the time, the circumstances of the, for example, the surveillance that was being conducted uh, that, you know, he had some sort of uh, knowledge of. And at some stage during that process, he went, hang on a minute, I disagree with this. And because there was nobody monitoring or from my understanding, certainly in the post analysis, there was no specific uh, dynamic monitoring of his vetting status and his character, it was overlooked. And the breach that that, that resulted in him releasing that information and what have you was absolutely monumental and Mm. devastating. It affected so many people. But I'm not here to talk about the rights and wrongs of that, but more importantly, the focus on exactly what you've just suggested, and that is that this vetting, the employment screening, has to be dynamic. It can be random, it can be structured to be periodic, or it can be purely based on, for example, uh, an anonymous tip off, which is why it's uh, of equal value for organizations not only to conduct vetting, but to maintain some sort of robust reporting mechanism within their organization. So that there is a facility available for people to discreetly comment on activities that they believe are of concern or suspicious behavior to say that Mr. Smith working within the organization. He's been here 12 years. He's never, ever worn an expensive watch, but I noticed that he walked in with a Rolex worth $30,000 yesterday. Yeah. That's very unusual. And then it's up to the organization to say, well, look, there may be a very plausible reason. He might have just received an inheritance. He might have gambled and, and been successful. He might have won the lottery. I mean, there are any number of reasons that could quite comfortably justify it. But when you look at that and then say, well, actually, you know what? He's been turning up to, to work quite late uh, in recent times. He snapped at his boss, so he hasn't been following um, you know, authority with any respect in the organization. And you might find that you start ticking off a number of these uh, indicators that suggest that we might just have a bigger problem within the organization.
0: Now, one of the other things that you mentioned was, you know, our our standard staple guns, guards and gates, which is obviously an important piece of any security overlay, but it also raises the question in the context of coercion and, you know, turning people, how many security guards would actually know what it, what a, a an operation to turn someone actually looks like? How many security guards would understand the process that takes place whereby you know, they might be out somewhere and start experiencing financial problems. Miraculously, one day their car doesn't start. And then two mm. days after that, you know, there's another mechanical problem somewhere else. And then they, act, they just somehow run into a guy in the pub who starts mm. listening to their woes and over the course of the next few weeks befriends them and then, you know, offers the, to help them out of their financial problems. How many guards would understand that process?
1: Very, very few, unfortunately. And typically, the guards are paid at the lower end of the spectrum, and therefore, they are more likely to be susceptible. I typically, however, try and operate and function on the premise that most people are inherently honest. Yep. But as you say, John, there are circumstances that may just tip somebody over the edge, and they're probably not going to recognize when somebody approaches them down at the local bar and says, hey, mate. Let's go out for lunch tomorrow. You know, tell me more about your job or whatever the circumstance might be.
0: And what, so, Where then, do
1: you work? What do you do? What access yeah. do you have?
0: And you so know? then how important is it to educate the, the guards in sensitive areas around what that process looks like and how it's conducted?
1: It's fundamental. And it comes back to one of the, um, the key points that I mentioned a few minutes ago, and that is behavioural awareness training and security awareness training. It's all encompassed in that. And I would start at the bottom and work my way up within the organisation. I would educate those people who are at the front line, typically the people in the reception environments, the people at the front door, and we're referring to guards here.
0: Cleaners? I would
1: be starting there. Cleaners, absolutely. And it's well known that cleaners are regularly used to compromise environments and compromise people and be compromised themselves. It's been that way for decades, unfortunately. And when you're looking at what is unfortunately the lower end of the financial spectrum, so they're typically paid at base rates, as are security, unfortunately, Um, you really open up a a, a Pandora's box of opportunity because they are are less likely to understand what the threats are. They're less likely to recognise those threats and they are more likely to be compromise than say a senior executive who's on a great salary who's been to a number of briefings through his community warning of these sorts of circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I would suggest that security and behavioral awareness training is absolutely critical within organizations from the ground up. Don't look at it from the sea level down. Whilst you've got to have executives on board and it's fundamental, for example, with a, a, a full-blown uh, inside a threat management program, you need to have buy-in from senior management. But a part of that program includes education and awareness. Yep. Education, education, education. It cannot be underestimated. The value of uh, advising people on what to look out for could well save you your reputation. It could well save you billions of dollars in, in, uh, in stock losses should you have a breach, for example. And I do remember, John, uh, interestingly, one of your earlier podcasts, I think it was mid last year, you were speaking with Aon Insurance and having a look at some of the ratings that they'd come up with. And the number one on the list, if I recall correctly, of uh, concern was that of reputation, which you were seemingly surprised by at the time, as opposed to cyber, for example. I wholeheartedly agree with that statement or, or with that assessment. Reputation is everything. If you lose your reputation, you lose your credibility,
0: plain and simple. Well, it takes 30 years to create one and three seconds to destroy one, so... Spot on. Julian, thank you very much for your time. It has been fantastic chatting to you today. Um, If people want to know more about you and what you do and your research, where do they go?
1: Look, happy for them to to look me up. I'm on LinkedIn under Julian Claxton or if they look up JulianClaxton.com they will find a way to contact me. And, John, it's been a pleasure, and once again, I'm very grateful to have been considered to speak today. Thank you.
0: You're more than welcome. And, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like more podcasts like this one, there are plenty in the ASIAL Security Insider series. You can find them on Blurberry, Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, uh, and all the other fantastic places that you find podcasts. We hope you all have a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching you again on our next podcast.